first one will be from James chapter 5. You can be ready and turn there. Um, it's wonderful to be here. If you're visiting with us, we're very grateful that you're here. Um, some of you might just be passing by uh, on, on the road somewhere else, but you've made a point to stop here, and we're very grateful. We hope that this, uh, everything we do this morning will be an encouragement to you that will glorify God, and you'll glorify God with us, uh, and we'll be able to send you on your way. But if you're from this area and you're visiting this church, um, I hope you'd stick around so that we could talk to you. Uh, we can get to know you, and we'd love to see you again. Um, love to study the Bible with you in whatever way that we can um, this morning and, and in, in the future. So I asked you to open up to James chapter 5, but the first passage that I want to look at is from 1 Thessalonians 5, and I have it on the screen here. You can read it with me. It says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. You notice any repeated ideas in this passage? You notice any uh, maybe repeated words, repeated phrases, things like that? Well, the topics themselves that, that Paul covers here are actually quite different. There's a number of different topics that are covered. How we respond to people who mistreat us. Talks about prayer. Talks about showing gratitude. Talks about testing those who speak the words of God. A lot of different topics. However, you'll notice a repeated idea, which is this all or nothing thought, right? You see that in there? It's not that we refrain from returning evil for evil most of the time. No, no one is to do that. Instead, we are to always seek that which is good. And it's not like we do it just for some people, but we do it for all people. We don't, and we don't rejoice and pray some of the time, but always. We don't show gratitude in some things, but all things. We don't examine what people say when we don't like what they say. We examine everything, as somebody says. You see this all or nothing type attitude. Remember what Bob preached about last week? I hope you do. Um, as he lowers his head. Um, yeah, we looked at 1 Kings chapter 18, right? And remember in that story you have Elijah. Elijah is challenging the prophets of Baal, but I think really challenging the people. And that challenge to the people was, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? Chapter 18 and verse 21. How long are you going to hesitate between two different things? Because what God wants of you, what God wants you to do is to fully dedicate yourself to this one Thing. It's all or nothing. This is how Jesus taught. When Jesus was speaking to those who wanted to follow him, he's like, are you sure? Because you're going to have to deny everything. You're going to have to carry your cross and follow me. He often presents two options, one being right and one being wrong. You're, either on, you're only on one of those two ends for the most part. And that's, that's, I think, what Paul is presenting here. Christianity is wrapped up in this all or nothing attitude. We may have been a people who were once some of self and some of thee, but we are intended to change from that to be none of self and all of thee. That's what Paul is requiring. And that's a challenging aspect of Christianity. That's a really challenging thing because it's not just that uh, being a Christian is a, is a part of who we are. It's not like it's a piece of the pie, if you will. No, it's everything. Christianity is all of who we are. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. I have died, but Christ is the one living in me. Do you feel that way this morning? 
I want to look at one of these topics that Paul brings out here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All of these are worth considering, but I want to look at one uh, specifically this morning. As we approach this all-or-nothing attitude, I want to look at that in terms of praying without ceasing. I want to look at this idea this morning. How do we pray without ceasing? Because for me personally, um, I struggle with this a lot. Um, but one thing I've noticed about this church, uh, and I remember talking to Bob about this uh, after only having been here a couple months, I remember kind of documenting every single prayer that was said here. And in every single prayer, there was a mention of someone who is sick, there was a mention of the elders, and there was a mention of me. Y'all pray for me all the time, and I, I very much appreciate that. But I must confess something to you, and that's that I don't pray as much as I should. And nor do I pray for you all as much as I should. This is something uh, that, that I struggle with. And uh, this time of year is good for New Year's resolutions. So I am resolved this year to pray more. And for those of you who are trying to do the same this year, this lesson is for you. But I hope for everyone this morning, you'll find some encouragement, but you'll also find some admonishment as we look through praying without ceasing. I want to consider this topic this morning, but we're going to address three different questions as we think about this. The first thing we need to establish is, what does that mean to pray without ceasing? The second thing is, why don't we pray without ceasing? And the last thing is, what are some practical things we can do to help us pray without ceasing? Let's look at that first question this morning. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? So one question could be, well, does it mean that we never stop praying? That we are just constantly praying that every single word out of our mouth is some sort of prayer to God at every moment of the day. Maybe. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Another thought is Paul is just encouraging people to pray more than they were before. Like we're assessing how often we pray now. And then Paul is saying, well, based on that, now just pray more. Maybe he's talking about that. Maybe he's talking about a continuous discussion with God. Like you're meditating or dwelling on godly things Constantly, You're constantly dwelling with God uh, in prayer throughout the day. Maybe that's what it means. Well, I think it's kind of all three of these things. If this were a multiple choice question on a test, it would be all the above, I think. Because I have a tendency to read passages like this, pray without ceasing. Well, what he doesn't mean is that you're just always praying. I have a tendency to, to kind of curb these absolute statements that the Bible makes. After all, Paul says to rejoice always. But what does he say in other places? But mourn with those who mourn. So what is he saying? Is he contradicting himself here? Are we rejoicing or are we mourning? How are we supposed to pray without ceasing when we're also told to spread the gospel to other people? When we also have jobs, things in our lives that the scriptures permit that would keep us from constantly praying. But I'll tell you, for me personally, the minute that I start to curb these absolute statements is the minute that I start to justify not doing the very thing that it's telling me to do. So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? It might very well mean that today you need to never stop praying. It might mean that today you need to set aside this particular time for prayer. That we are constantly finding every opportunity to commune with God in prayer. Maybe it doesn't mean that every minute of the day that we're praying... Maybe it doesn't mean that every minute of the day we're trying to find a quiet place as Jesus encourages us to do. But we are at least praying throughout the day. Now, of course, we do it before meals, right? We always do it before bed. But maybe we should do it on our way to work, on our way home from work. Maybe we should do it um, as we're, I don't know, shaving. 
Maybe as we're uh, cleaning the dishes, maybe as we're walking the dog, maybe as we're in line at the grocery store, whatever opportunity there is, find an opportunity to pray. Pray without ceasing. My problem has been praying outside of these appointed times. Finding those appointed times might be easy. Praying before meals and before bed is so ritualistic that it would almost be harder to stop doing that than to, than to keep doing it, right? But you've got to ask yourself, is that more of a cultural thing or is it spiritually driven? I mean, living here in the South, that's kind of what everyone does. And so maybe, maybe it's a little easier to do it for those reasons. But I want you to think about this. What if I approached, what if I approached my relationship with Hannah that way? That we talked, but only at appointed times. Like I'm on my way home. She calls, I answer the phone, I'm like, hey, actually, we're not scheduled to talk until later on tonight. You're going to, you'll, you'll have to wait until before bed. Like, is that, do you think, how, how, would that, how would that go over, do you think? Yeah, not very well, right? If we only spoke at these appointed times, I'm not sure that would go over too well. I think Paul is encouraging us to develop a relationship. We see it uh, in the marriage relationship, but we are supposed to be developing this relationship with God. He's encouraging this constant communication, this connection, this fellowship with God through prayer. Of course, we do the things that we're supposed to do, but we stay connected to God throughout the day. I think that's what he's talking about with praying without ceasing. So, what keeps us from praying without ceasing? Well, I think there's a number of things we could go to, but, but perhaps one reason why we don't do it is because we don't consider prayer as we should. We don't think about prayer as we should, meaning we don't consider all that it accomplishes, because James chapter 5, if you turn there, what does James chapter 5 tell us but that it accomplishes much? Prayer accomplishes much. We're, gonna, we're not going to read through this passage, but look at James 5, verses 13 through 18. Just kind of skim through there. What is prayer associated with there? What does prayer accomplish in those passages? You see in verse 13 that we're supposed to pray both when we're happy and sad. But look at verses 14 and 15. Prayer is associated with the healing of sick people. Do you believe that? Because God says that prayer helps heal those who are sick. And then you look at verse 16. Prayer is associated with the healing of the spiritual sickness that we have. Praying for those who are in sin. And then to help affirm those things, to help prove those things, he goes back to Elijah. You know what Elijah was able to accomplish through prayer? He stopped the rain. And then he provided rain through prayer. Now, is James encouraging us to pray for weather patterns? Maybe. I don't know. I think everything is fair game, that we take everything to God in prayer, that we are making all of these petitions to God. We do ourselves a disservice when we ignore the power of prayer spoken in faith. But look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 as well. Look at what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 2. In verses 1 through 4 of 1 Timothy 2, Paul is encouraging us to pray for governing authorities. We are encouraged to pray for them, both petitioning on their behalf, but also expressing thanks. He implies that prayer affects them. Otherwise, why else would you do it? Prayer affects our governing authorities. It influences their decisions. I mean, throughout Scripture we see that very thing. Where God is working through governing authorities to accomplish His will. I think we see it most obviously with God's people in the land of, of Canaan, right? Now, it's not lost on me that we are officially in an election year. 
Governing authorities is going to be on our minds perhaps more than it should. But we are going to be thinking about these things throughout the year. But I want to ask, do you think your most powerful influence on our governing authorities is through a Facebook post? Do you think our most powerful influence on governing authorities is through a call-in of a political talk show? Or maybe a protest? Or a petition of some kind? Or through a vote? Is that our most powerful authority that we have? Or is it prayer? Is prayer the most powerful thing we can do to influence our governing authorities? Our country, though, I must admit, affords us the right to do many things. And that's a a wonderful blessing. And no doubt these freedoms play a role in us being able to live a quiet and tranquil life. Although, as an aside, oftentimes I don't think we use them in all godliness and dignity, as it says. But nonetheless, there's certainly something that that, that our government affords us to live in this way. But to what do we attribute these rights that we have? Do we attribute them to hours and hours of delegation and debate, voting and re-voting, genius founding fathers, or do we attribute these rights to men and women who have prayed the last hundred years, the last hundreds of years, for our governing authorities, so that we might have rights that would allow us to live quiet and tranquil lives? Do we attribute these things to people who are praying right now for our governing authority? I think we ought to. Prayer accomplishes much. We cannot forget the power of prayer. So whether we are suffering or cheerful, we pray. Whether we are sick or know people who are sick, we pray. When you or a brother and sister in Christ is struggling, we pray. When we are bogged down by the politics of this world and are struggling within them, we pray. Do not neglect the power of prayer. And I'll say as an aside, those of you who don't feel as though you can contribute a whole lot to this church, either Oak Mountain or just the larger church in general. Maybe you feel as though physically you're not capable to serve in obvious ways like like other people. Or maybe you don't feel as though you uh, know enough uh, to counsel or to teach others. First, you're probably more capable than you think, but let's just say for argument's sake that is true. One thing you can do is pray. And do not discount what you are contributing to both this church and the kingdom in your prayers. I know that I have the strength and confidence to be standing here right now because you all have been praying for me constantly. And I know that the elders are able, have been able to lead in godly ways because of the strength that God has provided them through your prayers. Do not discount the contribution to the kingdom that you are giving through your prayers prayers. We must consider prayer as our greatest strength in overcoming any of these struggles. But do you believe that? Do you believe prayer is our greatest strength? And perhaps that leads to another reason why we don't pray without ceasing is because we lack faith. Go ahead and look at Mark chapter 9. Turn to Mark 9. James chapter 5 already connected prayer and faith Mark 9 does the same thing, but in a different way. In Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 17, there's this man. He's got a son who is uh, possessed by a demon. And he asked the disciples to, to cast him out, but they were unable to do it. And look at what Jesus says in verse 19. Look at Jesus' response to these people in verse 19. 
He says, oh, unbelieving generation. Unbelieving generation. Jesus connects their inability to cast out this demon with their lack of faith, their lack of belief. Now, let's think about it. The disciples are being asked to cast out a demon. That's something Jesus has done, right? Has, have the disciples ever had the ability to do something like that? Is this a request that is too big for them? Well, no. Actually, you look back at Mark chapter 6 and verse 7. Jesus is sending out the 12, right? He's pairing them off two by two. They're supposed to go out and proclaim the kingdom to people. But you look at verse 7, and what does it say? He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then you skip down to verse 13. What, what did they do with that authority except, well, they were casting out many demons, it says in verse 13. They've done this before. They're able to do this sort of thing. They had the ability, so why could they not do it in verse 9? Why was this time different? Well, I'm going to suppose for a second. Allow me, allow me to, to, to suppose some things. Imagine you are one of the apostles. You are one of the twelve who are sent out to proclaim the kingdom, right? You're paired up, and let's just say you're paired up with like Thaddeus or something. You're sent out, and you're supposed to proclaim the kingdom, except Jesus isn't going to be with you this time. So you're already a little bit more nervous. You're going out proclaiming a kingdom. Jesus isn't with you. But he's given you the ability to heal people. That's a great thing. But then he's also given you the ability to cast out. And where there is ability, there is the responsibility to do so. You're supposed to cast out these demons. And you think back to Mark chapter 5, the Gerasene demonic man. Remember how that went down? Here's this guy who's chained up because he's so violent. He, he, he's he's, he's uh, ostracized to another part of the region because he's so violent. This is a difficult thing that they're being asked to do. I have no doubt that their first time that they go into it, it's, it's you and Thaddeus. You're going in and you're thinking to yourself, oh God, please be with me. God, please be with me in this moment. You're praying. No doubt that you are praying. You ask that demon to leave and he leaves. All right, so you have a little bit more confidence. You go to that second demon. No doubt you're still a little nervous. You pray to God. You say, God, please be with me in this. You call for that demon to leave, and he leaves. But now fast forward to the 30th time. Here's this man with a son who has a demon, and you're asked to go uh, cast out this demon. You walk over to him, and you're like, hey, get out of there, demon. And nothing. Nothing happens. You're confused. You don't understand why this is going on the way it's going. Look down at verse 28 of chapter 9. You go to Jesus and you ask, why could we not cast it out? What happened? Why isn't this working? And look at what Jesus says in verse 29. This cannot come out by anything but prayer. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. What's the implication there? They didn't pray. They weren't praying. But back in verse 19, Jesus says, oh, unbelieving generation. So how is their lack of belief shown? They didn't pray. They lacked faith. And how is it manifested but through their lack of prayer? They became too self-reliant. There are things that will only be accomplished through prayer. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Because prayer in faith forces you to consider God's will. It forces you to submit to Him a little bit more. It forces you to think of God's will rather than your own. I mean, think back to Jesus' model prayer back in Matthew chapter 6. It says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And then fast forward a little bit to the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at Mark chapter 14. Look at Mark chapter 14. You see a similar thing, right? Jesus gave this model prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then before Jesus is about to go on trial, before he is about to go on the cross, what does he pray to God three different times? Not my will, but your will be done. Meanwhile, what are Peter, James, and John doing while Jesus is doing this? Look at verse uh, 37. Look at verse 37. Jesus is speaking to Peter. He says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does Jesus tell them to do? You need to pray. You need to pray. Do you out here in this audience, me included, do all of us, do we have a willing spirit? I'm going to guess a lot of us do. But do we lack strength in our flesh? Absolutely. What does Jesus prescribe to make the flesh as willing as the spirit? Prayer. Pray that you not give in to temptation. Commune with God in prayer. Allow Him to help you. Allow God to help you. I think another reason uh, that, that, that keeps me uh, from, from praying is I feel like I'm too busy to pray. And you know what? Sometimes I actually am too busy to pray. There are too many things that I put on my plate, responsibility that I now have to complete that keeps me from praying. And in some cases, those things that I'm doing are good, godly things. So what am I supposed to do? Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel like your lack of prayer is really a result of you doing too many things and maybe too many good things. Well, I want to consider Acts chapter 6. Look at Acts chapter 6 with me. And we see something similar shown in Acts 2 and verse 42, but I want to look at Acts chapter 6. In Acts 6, we have a situation. The apostles had this daily distribution of bread. They're giving them out to poor Christians, but it comes to the point where this is too difficult. There are some who are being neglected, that are not being taken care of as they should. And so the apostles delegate. They give the work to somebody else. Why? Was it because it was just beneath them? They had better things to do than, than, than take care of these people. Was that what the reason was? No. No, some of it was because they had something that they needed to do. There was, they were tasked by Jesus to spread the word, verse 2, chapter 6 of verse 2. They were supposed to be committed to that. But look at what he says in verse 4. Look at what else was being accomplished in this delegation. Verse 4, he says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer's pretty high on that list of things they need to do. Was it important that they take care of those uh, poor widows? Absolutely. That's why it was tasked to someone else to do. But for the apostles, what they needed to be devoted to was prayer. I think we can often see good things in our lives that we need to accomplish and want to accomplish every single one of them. But we cannot do that to the detriment of prayer. And perhaps lastly, if I assess myself soberly, and honestly, another reason why I do not pray is, is because I'm lazy. Do y'all feel this way? Prayer is hard. Prayer is a difficult thing at times. I mean, if, if at first you don't feel that way, I challenge you, I challenge you to pray for an hour. 
have a stopwatch out. Time yourself as you try and do it. I want you to pray for an hour. Now, getting to know some of you, for some of you, I don't think this is going to be a difficult thing at all. But for others, it might be. I want you to pray for an hour. If you're like me, you start praying. Things are going good. You've got a lot of things that you want to say to God. You're saying them all. Things are great. And then you look at the clock. Five minutes go by. Prayer is difficult. Prayer is a challenging thing. Because good, thoughtful prayers require, well, good thoughts. And a lot of thoughts. I just, sometimes I just don't feel like thinking. Because, really, it's a whole lot easier to just kind of turn off my brain, to uh, perhaps look at my phone for a little while longer, maybe turn on the TV and watch a show I've watched over and over and over before, or, I'm embarrassed to admit, do both at the same time, be looking at my phone and watch a show at the same time. Man, nothing tells other people that you really don't want to devote your attention to anything like looking at your phone and watching a show at the same time. I'm guilty of this. Giving our full attention to God in prayer is a challenging thing. But look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. I have it on the screen, but if you want to look at it in your Bibles, do so. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. In this verse, we learn about a little-known person by the name of Epaphras. Maybe this is going to be mentioned in the ladies' class. This is a wonderful little character study. Only three times is Epaphras mentioned in the Bible, but all three times he is called a slave or servant of God. Man, what a wonderful way to be discussed. What a wonderful way to be characterized. You are a slave, and every single time you are mentioned, you are associated with that. It's pretty easy to see how devoted he was. Pretty easy to see just how all in Epaphras was. Look at what he says, or what is said about him. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Not only is he devoted in his service, but he is devoted in prayer. I think uh, an example of his service to others. But look at what's said about him. Always laboring earnestly. Always laboring earnestly. Always, he was praying without ceasing. Laboring. This was a labor. This was a difficult thing. This was something that required a lot of time and attention. And earnestly, he saw it as something that needed to be done right now. He earnestly was praying, laboring always, because he desperately wanted the Colossians to stand perfect before God. It's verses like this that totally put me to shame. I'm not always. I'm not laboring. I'm not earnestly does this describe you? I think it should describe all of us. So what can we do? What can we do to, uh, well, do better with praying uh, without ceasing? I want to uh, look at just four things quickly that might help us at least start praying without ceasing. And the first thing uh, that is really practical in nature is have a list as you pray. Make a list of things that you want to pray for. I remember when, uh, when I was teaching, I would have to call home sometimes, and typically those, call, those calls were not about good things. And I would always get so nervous. And it didn't, it didn't matter how many years I had been teaching, I was always so nervous to have to call home. And so I would always have a three by five index card where I had all the different things that I wanted to talk about. Sometimes it would be exact phrasing of particular things because I didn't want to get it wrong. I didn't want to lose train of thought, start talking about other things that I shouldn't be. I wanted to be focused. And so I had a list. If you're unsure of what to say in prayer, 
Have a list of people, situations, and events that you want to pray about. I don't think it makes it any less heartfelt. I don't think it makes it any less spirit-driven to have a list of things that you want to pray about. But also, a different list to consider. Not just people, situations, and events, but have a list of different types of prayers that you would like to say. I know for me, uh, personally, something that's been helpful is narrowing my focus whenever I, I pray. To have one or two things that I want to pray about. Now maybe I pray about those things a good bit, but I want to focus in on those two, one or two things rather than having this shotgun approach. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that. I think there's some good things that could be accomplished, but I know for me personally, my mind starts to wander to the point where I'm not very productive in my prayers. But focusing in on those prayers I think is helpful. And to have specific types of prayers that I want to pray about in this moment. For instance, having like a Romans 12 type prayer where I'm praying that God would transform and renew my mind, that I would not conform to this world. Can you think of situations in your life where you might be a little bit more tempted to conform to the world? Pray a Romans 12 prayer. Or maybe a, a 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28 prayer where, where Paul is, is praying for churches. Have a prayer where you're totally focused on this church, where you are trying to pray for the growth of this church, but also for the kingdom of God, where you're praying for preachers and elders, both here and abroad. Have a 2 Corinthians 4 type prayer where you are, you're looking at the trials in your life and you're praying that God would strengthen you, but also praising Him for the ways that He has strengthened you in the past. Have prayers of praise. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers specifically for those who are sick, prayers specifically for those who are spiritually sick. Focus in on these particular things. For me personally, I've been much more focused and I think more productive in my prayers when I've done something, something like this. Uh, secondly, I think we just need to redeem the time better. We've already touched on this a little bit. That's a phrase that's used in Ephesians 5 and verse 16. Um, but particularly for this lesson, what I mean by that is, Maybe we should have an assessment of our day. I mean, like hour by hour. Think about what you do throughout the day. Maybe even half hour by half hour. You are documenting what you are doing throughout the day and, uh, and, and, and ask yourself, where can I pray during the day? Where can I start making more attempts to pray? Where can I find these little pockets of time throughout the day where I can pray? And you know what? If you are given an opportunity, a pocket of time that you didn't anticipate, use that time to pray. You wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep, pray. Maybe you're praying that you go back to sleep, but you're praying, right? Maybe if you're cleaning the house, you're praying. Maybe if you're working outside, you're praying. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're attempting to find these pockets of time, and you're dedicating that time to God in prayer. And perhaps we could be more successful in doing that and redeeming the time if we choose to disconnect from things that distract us. Actively figure out those things that distract you and disconnect from them. Specifically, our phones. Maybe that's something that gets in the way. I, th I, think, uh, I think more people are addicted to their phones than would like to admit. Uh, often try and say this is like a millennial Gen X type thing. I think it covers a lot of people here. Fasting in the Bible is always coupled with prayer. Now, it's always coupled with food, too. But at the same time, for this, maybe we take a little bit of a fast from our phones and we choose to pray instead. But, like the Bible always encourages, we don't just stop doing one thing. What do we do? We fill that time with another. We remember. We don't just disconnect. 
We fill that void with what is good. When we want to look at our phones, may that be a reminder to pray. When we want to just turn on the TV, turn off our brains, we choose to pray instead. We, want, uh, we prefer to listen to music in the car. Maybe we choose to pray in this instance instead. Whatever we can do to be in that constant communication with God, may we choose to disconnect and remember to pray. I hope this lesson has been encouraging uh, to, to everyone here. And again, uh, an admonishment of some kind as it's been uh, for me. But I want to redeem the time now uh, and pray to God. Pray with me. Our great God, it's a wonderful thing that we can speak to you in prayer. That we can open our mind and our heart to you knowing with confidence that you hear us. And not only do you hear us, but you want to hear from us. It is you who wants us. God, help us to want you. God, help us to pray to you more. Strengthen our spirit to desire you more and then strengthen our flesh to be as willing as the spirit that our will will be aligned with yours. God, help our unbelief. Help us to believe in the power of prayer. Give us a clear understanding of all that is accomplished through prayer. But even when we don't see, help us to trust in what you have told us, that the prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. Help us, God, to believe in you more than ourselves. Help us to redeem the time better, to actively seek opportunities to pray. Help us to not be lazy, but to be more like Epaphras, to always labor earnestly in prayer. And God, please forgive us when we do not trust in you and pray as we should. Renew our heart, renew our mind, Lord, again, that our will may be aligned with yours. And that we may prove what your will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We ask and pray these things through Jesus. Amen. I hope that everyone here this morning has been encouraged to pray to God. The creator of this world. The fact that the creator of this world wants to hear from us is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But do you believe that? If you are searching for God, if you're not a Christian but you want to know more about Him, I think you should pray. I think you should study the Scriptures to try to understand Him more, but invite Him into your life through prayer. If you are a Christian but have been struggling, maybe distance yourself from other Christians, maybe distance yourself from God Himself, return to Him in prayer. If you have any need of any of these invitations, please come up now while we stand and sing.